Tom. Bo, Pete. Do you remember last week? Yeah, At all. Vaguely. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, uh, yes, I do. Do you remember last week when you talked about um, punch drunk bees, pollen drunk? Yes, that's right. Having bubble snuggles. snuggle. Mm-hmm. It felt so good. It was such a good feeling thing. Oh. And I took that message of goodness and turned it into a competition. <laughs> oh, oh, okay. <laughs> I wanted to see if I could make you feel good, as good as you made me feel. And again, ideally, because competition, if I could make you feel better than you made me feel wow. last week. This yeah. 100% feels like a trick and a trap, <laughs> but I'll trust, I. but I usually always trust someone under like a shawl, so I will yeah. give you the benefit under of the doubt. Under some sort of a blankie. Yeah. Yeah, some sort of a binky of, uh, yeah, no, so I'd like to take you to Dateline Thailand. Oh. 1.23 a.m. yesterday. Oh. There was an accident on the highway. And the ambulance uh, responded, ambulance emergency personnel responded uh, to this accident. And it was a motorcycle accident. And mm. the driver of the motorcycle uh, was tossed asunder and rolled to the side of the road. And the motorcycle was destroyed because of a collision with another party. And the other party was motionless, lying motionless on the street. And uh, they were worried about its uh, survival. And so uh, ambulance uh, personnel member Mana Srivate got out of the ambulance and began CPR on the party in the street. And I'd like to show you the picture of that now. Is this going to be upsetting? (gasps) Baby elephant! It's a baby elephant. This guy got out of the ambulance and did CPR on a baby elephant that was lying. They thought it was going to die because this guy on a motorcycle ran smack into it. But that's not what happened, Tom. It didn't die because of CPR. That's not what happened. Because of CPR, the baby started to move. Manu Shrivate says, I almost cried when it started to move. It was my instinct to save lives, he said. But I was worried the whole time because I could hear the mother and other elephants calling for the baby in the jungle. Oh, no. We're calling for it. And then the baby stood up after 10 minutes and was taken to a vet. And they uh, took care of it. And they made it feel better. And then <laughs> made Tom, it feel better. <laughs> I don't know why that's funny. <laughs> they brought it back. They brought it back to the scene of the crime, to the highway, and they put it there. And it killed the motorcycle. And it started. <laughs> yes. And it immediately it trampled out, the motorcycle. It was the start of Elephant John Wick. And <laughs> it actually was a vengeance story the whole time. Do you feel better? No. They took it back and it started to, I don't know, do elephants, they wail or bay or what do they do? They honk? They horn? Strip, they signal? Damn. Cry? Drunk? drunk it yep. started crying. And within 10 minutes, the mama and the, the remaining members of the herd came back and picked it up. And they walked up into the jungle together. Does that feel good? That feels wonderful. CPR on a baby elephant, Tom. I don't understand how you do CPR on a baby elephant. No, I don't think Manu did either. I think he just got damn lucky. Yeah. Quote, I assumed where an elephant heart would be located based on human theory and a video clip I saw online once. (laughs) (laughs) That's wonderful. Do you think that when they were all back together, they all like curled up in the world's most gigantic flower. (laughs) (laughs) 
elephants don't drink pollen. No. <laughs> it's like all just fish sauce and banana leaves. <laughs> it's Thailand. Everything's a party. I like to think I'm kind of tough. Sometimes I feel invincible. I feel like I got the bad stuff. I feel like I'm in control. Welcome to What's That Smell, a sometimes funny podcast about humans and their anxieties. I'm Pete Wright. And I'm Tommy Metz Third. And every week we each drag one of our deepest, darkest anxieties into the light to share it, learn about it, and hopefully laugh about it with all of you. Reach out. And you know what? We have a new way to reach out because we because if you don't want to write to that other email address, you know that one that that one time we used? You don't have to anymore because we have this fancy new form and you can just go to the website at whatsthatsmell.net. It'll take you to the right page and right at the top there'll be a button and it just says submit your anxiety or something of that ilk which will be determined when i put it there but it will be there and you'll click it and it'll open a form and you just type you just type and you just type and hit submit and it'll be delivered to us automatically because of internet the internet saves forms and baby elephants thanks internet (laughs) and with that i'll go first Outside your door. Tom, a few points uh, to start us off. Point number one. Uh, Last week, we talked about your academic paper that you had right and said that said paper was due yesterday as we record this. And uh, I would very much like to know how you did, because I've been anxious over it all week. Really? <laughs> yeah. Well, Pete, thank you for asking. Uh, it's been a little bit of a roller coaster because I had, I was all set and you gave me all of those great tips and I put them in my brain and I went to bed and the next day I woke up to write the paper and I didn't because I had a minor <laughs> panic attack. <laughs> I had built up this paper so much in my head yeah. that I just couldn't do it. And so I, (laughs) I'm being very honest, live stream, I reached out to my professor saying, uh, because of personal problems, I would not be able to get the paper done in time, personal issues or something. Uh, She very wonderfully wrote back and said, okay, how about an incomplete? And then you can finish the paper on your own time because Mm -hmm. you're doing, she was very kind. She said, you've been doing such great work. You deserve to finish the class. And I said, if you Because this was the last paper of the class. 100%. Correct. This is the very last thing. That was a part of the reason that I was having so much. Yeah, everything else is done. Anyways, um, I wrote back and said, if you'd be willing to do that, that would be outstanding. She wrote back and said, of course I would. And if you can turn it in by Wednesday, meaning tomorrow, by noon, we don't even have to bother with the incomplete. I'll oh, because she doesn't have to submit grades until correct. It's not incomplete until she submits grades, so you're okay. And so that little, I, I think it was the support she gave. It was a little bit yeah. of the breath that that gave me. Uh, it just changed everything. And um, that day, I sat down for a number of hours and outlined everything. All the citations got everything, and then the next day, wrote it and wrote it in about uh, three and a half hours. And submitted it today. So I even submitted it uh, a day before it was redo. Yeah, it was redoed. Yeah, redoed. So I fought through. I had trouble. You know, I'm a little embarrassed to say that there was still a hiccup. But it, what was an awful situation turned into a really good situation. I'm very proud of the paper. And I will see what she thinks. 
Well, I was wondering why you didn't send it to me to read it aloud to you, and now I know why. That's why, because I, feel like I was that's very clear now. In my you own closet. Hiding. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, Tom, I'm proud of you, and that you. actually, given our topic today, you have just given you've buoyed my spirits. So oh. that was point one. You okay. did good. You did good, kid. Hey. hey. Point two. Last week, uh, I talked about hoarding and mm-hmm. how I'm not a hoarder, and then we both heard as if. A voice from deep in the cave, you're not a hoarder yet. And how anxiety can just sort of leech at your will and restraint yep. and, uh, and and suck it from you as you absorb the anxieties of others. We talked about, uh, maybe we didn't talk about that so much, but that's sure where my head's been the last week. Okay. And then I'm noodling over all of these things. And wondering at the same time what the hammerhead murder worms are doing right now. Oh, right. And how close they are and all yep. that sort of thing. And uh, I'm uh, the following comment drops into my lap. I bring you an unintentional listener submission, Tom. And uh, Oh, unprecedented. It is unprecedented because this comes from Linda, who sent this comment to me over at the Taking Control of the ADHD podcast comment form other podcast the other podcast but linda is also a listener here and i told her that i was going to pivot this comment and use it on this show too that's the unprecedented part and so we're we're all good she's fantastic so this is what she says i'm wondering about any research you may know about relating to how the ADHD brain functioning absorbs the anxiety of people close to them and how it affects the owner's personal narrative as opposed to effects on the non-ADHD brain. Now, this is ADHD related, but talking about anxiety right? and, again, how the brain absorbs the anxiety of people close to them and how it effect- affects the so owner's narrative. Which if you have ADHD is... Anxiety more contagious yes. than for other now, people. Okay. I think, Tom, I think we're talking about empathy here, right? right? Empathy and its relationship to anxiety. And that is my anxiety of the week. It's empathy, which is weird because empathy, you think, is sometimes a good thing. It turns out, Tommy. It's supposed to be a real pro. Wow. Empathy is terrifying. It's terrifying. So scary. Oh, don't let it hear you. Empathy is behind your couch. I, uh, that's another thing I totally stole from you uh, this week when last week you said your, the ending of your paper was look behind you and then you run out of the room. Right. Uh, I've, I've been saying that all week. So okay. thanks. You're a real earworm. <laughs> um, so here's the thing. I, thinking about anxiety, and empathy, what would you, what would you imagine is the relationship between anxiety and empathy? Well, I know for me, it is very connected. That I I have I have to a lot of times break off from not from the person but I have to protect myself a little bit because mm-hmm. I will just become a little bit of that person because I'm already an anxious person and so if, especially if they're dealing with anxiety or depression bad feelings like that it really I start to take it on a little bit too hard and get a little bit too invested. What if you, if you separate it from the anxiety part, do you consider yourself an empathetic person, just generally? I would like to think I'm extremely empathetic. Too empathetic. I can read your thoughts. <laughs> do I not know what empathy is? <laughs> oh, 
Right. Of course you do. Yeah. It's the ability, right? We're talking about the ability to kind of put yourself in another in another person's shoes, right? To be able yes. to see from multiple perspectives. And it really helps you when you're uh, dealing in social situations, when you're dealing with like just general care and feeding of humanity. It's good to be an empathetic person. And when you aren't an empathetic person, um, then you you struggle with those kinds of things. Right. You struggle with social norms and, and all kinds of things. When you can't, it, it, it's a read the room skill, right? It's an right. executive functioning skill is what it becomes. And it turns out that there, there's such an interesting sort of yin-yang relationship between anxiety and everything. There, there wasn't a lot of research in this uh, in this area until very recently. Hmm. Um, previous research in the area says that you know there's some uh, direct correlation between empathy and anxiety. And uh, here's a survey of some studies that that talk about it. Uh, Using film clips depicting victims facing threats, a recent study demonstrated that trait empathy is associated with greater self-reported vicarious anxiety when observing victims. This is the old, oh, my face hurts when you watch somebody else step on a rake and have it hit them in the face, right? Uh, previous studies have also documented that individuals who experience emotion mirroring intensely are more prone to personal distress, i.e. anxiety or discomfort. Investigations in the clinical realm have reported similar relationships. A study on uh, inpatient adolescents found that measures of affective empathy are positively related to all anxiety dimensions. They found that individuals with social anxiety disorder demonstrate unique sociocognitive abilities such that measures of social anxiety and general anxiety positively associated with affective and cognitive empathy, respectively. Uh, I got some of that. That's pretty science Yeah, It's pretty science-y. I'm I'm reading. I'm reading pretty smart stuff this week. What can (laughs) I tell you? I get it. You you got me turned on to academic writing this week. Really, what we're saying is there is a connection between empathy and anxiety. That, especially in social anxiety, when you witness other people having social anxiety, it makes you feel more anxious. When you have that sort of anxiety, you can take on those behaviors and those those structures in your own head and and belabor them. I know I've done this a lot in the past, but if I feel that someone is suffering from social anxiety or being too quiet, or if they're new to a situation when I know a lot of the people, yeah. I will generally try, because I know how hard that can be, I generally am someone that tries to really reach out and bring that person in and start engaging right, right. with them just to get them. And I think that's got to be empathy. Well, <laughs> right? it's got to be empathy. Yeah. Yes, I think it absolutely is, because you're the guy who can actually scan the room and pick the people who are struggling. And you couldn't do that if you weren't, if you hadn't been there. Right. Right. I do. The, I start by going, you, <laughs> which yeah. is weird. I There's point a them lot out and I go, you, yeah. the quiet, awkward one, like really yeah. loud and, do you and carry, stuff. Do you still carry the, the unveil the scarlet A for anxiety now? I do. And put them, I do. Yeah. strap it to their backs it's when they're not the looking? It's at the end of like a taser. And then I just... <laughs> It's just like a way to shake shake off the rest. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're exactly right. Clearly, you've learned a lot over (laughs) five seasons. So what we're we're talking about here is that there is this connection, but they hadn't done the work of figuring out, like, what is going on in the brain Mm. for empathetic and anxious people. And so here is a study. I bring you convergent neural correlates of empathy and anxiety during socio-emotional processing. What? It's a slammer. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I I have the coloring book of this, so I'm I'm, I'm pretty familiar. (laughs) 
which is so great because this is all about brain lighting up. They researchers of people with varying degrees of emotional sort of health on the anxiety spectrum mm-hmm. uh, to an fMRI and watch their brains light up around certain tasks and looking at certain like photographs of people from fearful with expressions of, of fear on their face to neutral expressions on their face and started measuring what's going on in the brain, what lights up in the brain yeah. so they can start to look at direct and indirect relationships between anxiety and signals of, like you say, as you're scanning the room, who looks fearful, who looks right. anxious. While a direct relationship was not observed in these traits, the results revealed indirect links between empathy and anxiety through the mediation of worry and shared associations with higher self-reflection and ruminative thinking style. Okay. Ruminative, meaning go over and over and over something? Ruminate there you something. go. Okay, there you go. So <laughs> worry and rumination. How do those words hit you? Do you find yourself to be a guy who ruminates? No, I'm pretty laissez-faire. Yeah, something, <laughs> something kind of negative <laughs> happens, and I'm like, what ifs? So anyone playing What's That Smell Bingo yeah. has just put a big stamp on Tom Lies. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Says the guy who got a panic attack from his laptop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I'm a I'm a ruminator from a long time ago. I mean, Ty died in the wool ruminators yeah. here. Me too. Man, yeah. I get so sucked into it. Uh, and this it can be the slightest thing. I can just I I can you, you want to learn how to perseverate. We need to start a mastermind group. You know, I mean, we, we what, like a master really class? Yeah, yeah, master to... class. Meet, meet your instructors, terror and fear. Yeah, being Tom, and uh, it's going to be great. It's going to be great. We're right up there with Salman Rushdie, and uh, uh, yeah, it's going to be fantastic. So rumination, it turns out, is a big deal, and um, it is. It creates the cycle of despair. It lights up all the right things that you would imagine um, are are tied with anxiety. And that is just being shown the stimulus, shown pictures of people who look like they are uh, worried or anxious. Um, And and I'm going to get I'm going to get to more, but I'm going to use just a few more sciencey terms. Are you ready? Go. Further results show that worry and rumination shared commonalities with anxiety through decreased activations in the frontoparietal attentional network. This suggests that enhanced and prolonged bottom-up processing of emotional information seen in empathy in combination with decreased top-down attentional control and repetitive negative thinking central to worry and rumination result in higher general anxiety in socio-emotional encounters. So, one, we are um, we are not able to to sort of we're not able to decrease the noise floor of anxiety, and we're not able to come back and uh, actually focus our attention on other things as easy. So it's, a, it's like context shifting in the brain okay. is incredibly difficult, and I. Th- I know this speaks to me like a love letter, right? Mm. It's like you you have a very difficult time, Pete, changing gears when you feel any sort of, of judgment or slight. And so as a result, you're not able to distract yourself with joy or goodness or kindness or anything new for long periods of time. And that, that just increases the cycle of emotion and right. anxiety. Yep. Okay. Here's another thing, though. From Berkeley, get a load of this. And this is the part that I find a, a little bit scarier. Oh. And this is this is speaking to humanity. When you are compromised 
with anxiety. We've already said that empathy, being generally higher empathetic people because of our anxiety, leads us to fall off the rails with anxiety (laughs) more easily, right? So there's one. Two, when you are off the rails with anxiety, it makes you less empathetic. What? What? Wait. Yeah. What? Yeah. Think about that. You we're too empathetic, and so it makes us anxious, and then we're not empathetic enough. What, Pete? Yeah, because because this is where evolution comes in. Okay. When anxiety peaks and you become terrified, fearful, anxious. Oh, I. Who do you care see. about? Yourself. Who do you care about most? Right. You care about oh, yourself. And I said, I. Already in the beginning, I said, sometimes I need to put up like a barrier. I need to protect myself. Oh, that's that in practice. It turns out science supports you, Tom. Hey, science. Come look it out. Thank God. And I found it on the internet. The internet saved the world today. Thanks, Berkeley. Mm-hmm. Baby isn't that fantastic isn't that fascinating i uh, that that is a i believe what we would call a negative feedback loop right right and it's really hard to break and i don't think that um i, I think it's really hard to imagine yourself sort of immune from that i know i have that ex- absolute experience that as soon as i get frustrated or slighted i'm constantly thinking like my brain turns and and focuses inward it focuses on how to take care of myself how to protect myself from that person or that thing that slighted me that one time right. uh, so negatively. And it it prevents, it puts up, like you said, that barrier right. that is effectively a one-way mirror, right? I can't see out anymore you for a time. Yourself. Right. I think that could be really, really dangerous. Hmm. If we're over-empathetic, are we just going to like more of a normal, more healthy? Because um, you ideally you can be, oh, maybe not. That's just sympathy. Right. I was going to say something of like, is there a way to be empathetic and not suffer from it? But that's just sympathy. That's the difference. Yeah. Right. You have to to personalize it. You have to, you have to be able to put yourself in those shoes Mm. or, or have had that experience or, or be able to normalize that experience. So I think that's really scary. And so the Berkeley Mm. comes back and says, you know, there are some skills that you really need to, uh, need to cultivate. And they're, they're like uh, practice exercise. They gave us practice exercises. I wonder if you've ever done this. And I'm going to skip, I'm going to skip on one. I'll just go quickly over it. It's actually their third, which is mindful breathing. We talk about mindfulness Mm -hmm. every single week. If you're not doing it's table stakes, you find some sort of a, a meditation practice or a breathing practice that works for you, and it'll be great. So that's number one. Berkeley says. Did you just say table stakes? Yeah. What's that? Yeah, it's like you. It's like uh, in poker, right? You show oh. up to a card, a card <laughs> game, was... and it's like you can't. Like you don't go to the high dollar game first. You got to show up ready to play, right? Okay. I was spelling yeah. steak like the food, <laughs> and I just <laughs> you were like, and it's table stakes, and I'm like. Well, I guess like a dinner table. I was like, yeah, is that a phrase? It's, it's like counter halibut. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's, it's, su- it's soup bowl. Okay. <laughs> Great. Sorry. Go ahead. That's not helpful. Okay. <laughs> table stakes. Yeah. It's it's I'm just so glad we come with such a shared vernacular to this podcast. <laughs> you know I'm a huge synonym. No. What's homonym for yeah. <laughs> Uh, so the, the other two, this is this is where we're building the muscles here from again. Berkeley. Right. Mindful uh, breathing. One is practice active listening. And you can do this with anybody 
that you're talking to, Mm -hmm. right? And that is to practice listening better and expressing active interest in your conversational partner, making them feel heard and understood. Mm -hmm. Now, I read this and I think this is an exercise for sociopaths. Like, this this is like what Dexter's dad would ask him to do. Right. Uh, like how to know, nod we, and say, yes. Yeah, how to nod. Yes, I care about you very yes. much. As a human but, man. <laughs> right. So do you do you find you are an active listener already? Is this something that you do? You never really know about yourself because you're yourself. But I would find myself to be an extremely active listener, if only because I rudely interrupt people all the time because I have follow-up <laughs> or like right real quick, I want to follow up that or like go deeper into things. So I'm so it's such an active listener. People don't want to talk to me. Probably. <laughs> They're well, actively that was actually trying a trick to question, which you, behind. Yeah. Yeah. You totally passed the trick question because we've actually done a whole episode on your social anxiety where we talked extensively about that and how good of an active listener you are because you care so deeply uh, about everything that's being said to you at right. any given moment. And right. it's delightful. It's really, it's it's good. So you have already passed Berkeley exercise number one. Hooray! Berkeley exercise number two, and I saved this for last because I think it's the hardest one if you're struggling with this exact negative behavior loop uh, with empathy and anxiety, and that is shared identity exercises. The, the exercise they're asking you to do is to practice imagining someone who is very different from you and then trying to imagine all of the ways that you two are similar to one another, right? So Shaquille you're O'Neal. seeing them. <laughs> you're seeing them as an individual and mm-hmm. not an, an other group member, right? Mm-hmm. Right? They're they are they are an individual, and I think the Shaquille O'Neal example might be fine. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I, 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 I don't know. I don't know why you started there. CCH Pounder. The... <laughs> Edna St. Vincent Millay. Uh, I, I feel like that is, uh, I think we're in, a, we're in a, a, a time right now that is hard, right? Uh, and em- emotions are hot. And this exercise, uh, if you do it well, I think asks you to confront uh, some, you know, similarities with people who are uh, very different from you and maybe very different in a way that's that's uh, uh, scary. And that doesn't make it any less valuable. And so in in terms of being able to fight the negative loop, right, uh, being able to build a bridge across the empathy anxiety chasm, uh, y- you can strengthen those muscles by really practicing active listening and active seeing of shared identities between us, right? This brings us, these are all things that bring us closer together so that when, like you said, when you are tempted to put up that barrier, when you're tempted to isolate yourself, you can um, perhaps make the the walls not so high or hold them up not quite so long. Uh, because you have a constant reminder that, you know, uh, it's okay to be different. It's okay to 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 experience judgment and know what to do with it on the other side. I love that. That makes a lot of sense. And I want to change who I'm comparing myself to. Oh, okay. CCH Pounder is no longer okay. Nope. The right. baby elephant. 
<laughs> we both get sleepy. We love highways. <laughs> yeah, sometimes I just go to a forest and scream. <laughs> Sports, sports. Feeling bad about your favorite sports team during the pandemic? Well, count your blessings that you're not following the 1899 Cleveland Spiders, who have gone down in history as the worst baseball team in history. Caught in a web of greed by their owner, Frank Robison, the Spiders were stripped of what terribly little talent they had during the season, leaving the team to eventually lose a staggering 134 games, winning only 20. That is the most and least in history. Amid the losing, Cleveland sports writer, Elmer Bates wrote that one of the only good things about covering a Spiders game was that he was not asked 50 times a day what's the score? People would instead just take it for granted that the Spiders were losing. One person actually may have benefited from Cleveland's incompetence. After the final game, the players are said to have presented George Muir the team's traveling secretary with a diamond locket because, according to the dedication, he had the misfortune to watch us in all our games. Yeesh. The 1899 Cleveland Spiders are an example of terrible teamwork. Want to be a part of a teamwork that makes the dream work? Why not become a What's That Smell Panic Pal? In order to become a Panic Pal, we are asking you to do a one-time-only, non-renewing $35 donation to What's That Smell? That will support all the time and expenses for production of the season. This is, while we do love this, it is not free, and we would really love your support. In addition to this normal podcast that, as I've said before, (laughs) all the cheap bastards get, you will also have uh, access to our live streaming, like it's happening right now. You could be watching us do this in real time. Wow! And also, you will get access to members-only episodes, like the COVID sessions, and other bonus material just for you to be a announced. And Pete, do you think there's anything else that we can offer? And a sticker. Okay. And Gollum's going to send you a sticker, apparently. And most importantly, our undying love, because we love doing this show, but it does cost money. And if you'd be willing to help us out with just $35 for the entire season, you would be our best friends forever. Thank you. And back to the show. Pete, my anxiety this week is extremely timely, like literally happening this week, but it can be traced all the way back to 1971. And although it involves high technology, it all began with breakfast cereal. Intrigued? (sighs) Back in the early 1970s, the largest computer network accessible to the general public was the telephone system. And at the time, telephones were managed by an automated system that used specific analog frequencies, noises, to place calls. An enterprising young gentleman named John Draper, no relation to Don, managed to exploit this situation, allowing him to make free long-distance and international calls. And what did he use to mimic the 2600 hertz frequency needed to fool the network into opening a free phone line for him? Do you know this, Pete? You're a tech guy. Squeezing a balloon? He squoes a balloon, Pete! No, (laughs) but it's just as ridiculous. He used a toy whistle that came free in boxes of Captain Crunch. He has gone down in history known as John Captain Crunch Draper. Wow, way to go, (laughs) nickname department. You really hit it out. Anyways, this technique was known as freaking, spelled with a PH, and has gone down in history as one of the first instances of hacking. Now, flash 49 years forward. 
on December 13th of this year, like just the other day, Reuters revealed that hackers have been spying on U.S. government agencies since as early as March. The compromises all trace back to a company called SolarWinds, an IT infrastructure and network management organization whose products are used across U.S. governments by many defense contractors and by most Fortune 500 companies. I'm just going to give you, uh, you've heard of this, of course, Pete. Oh, yes. Yeah. Can, for those that they're so good at their jobs is what I really want to say. But go ahead. Right. Go ahead. Let me uh, give just a little bit more uh, backup of it. The hacker group, going by the admittedly adorably named Cozy Bear, were able to taint SolarWinds software that was sent out to their clients. When uploaded, it created a backdoor for the hackers to infiltrate the many symptoms. And I mean many symptoms, Pete. As you know, literally thousands of companies have been at risk for months, and that includes the United States Commerce Treasury and Homeland Security Departments, and as we're still learning about this day by day, also the Energy Department, and that's nuclear weapons, Pete. It is now being called the Sunburst Hack. While they deny uh, involvement so far, all signs point to our old pal Russia, with Secretary of State Mike Pompeo formally accusing Russia on December 19th. After days and days of silence, President Trump said he thinks it could be China. <laughs> LOL. <laughs> He's the best. <laughs> the cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency said in a summary Thursday that the threat poses a grave risk to the federal government. Peter, my anxiety this week is the fear of hacking, which, no kidding, has been named hacker phobia. Again, <laughs> whoever's in charge of names is hitting it out of the park. Peter, you're a tech guy, so I really want to hear your thoughts about this, because this stuff seems really scary, and it's not just that they're going after the U.S. government. Hacking is huge. And doing research on major hacks that have happened just this year, can I just go over just a couple of them real quick? Yeah. Estee Lauder. Uh, in February, Estee Lauder, 440 million internal records were reportedly exposed due to middleware security failures. Middleware? No one knows what that is. In March, <laughs> Marriott, the hotel chain, suffered a cyber attack in which email accounts were infiltrated. 5.2 million hotel guests impacted in April. The SBA, the U.S. Small Business Administration, revealed as many 8,000 business emergency loan applicants were involved in a data breach. In July, MGM Resorts, a hacker put the records of 142 million MGM guests online for sale. That's just four. And I think I just named everyone in the world. <laughs> now I'm going to stop screaming and reading all of this stuff, at least for now, and tell me how interested are you in this? How up to date are you in this? Because this is, this seems terrifying and it involves tech. So it's doubly tech terrifying yeah yeah this is this is puppy machine if i've ever heard it and it gone awry like puppy machine at westworld and, right. and, uh, and so i i am interested and i i this story is i solar winds first of all so apparently yeah. they discovered in this part of this process as they were being actively hacked that uh, uh the security researcher uh vinoth kumar this oh. is my favorite my favorite bit that he alerted SolarWinds, the company, that their update server to all of their security software, the password had been set to SolarWinds123. What? Yeah. So, I mean, you oh. know, this is this is one of those stories <laughs> that we have a, a lot of things going on. And the, the first one is, yes, there are adjutants in the world, technical adjutants that are out there trying to uh, make 
the world a worse place by destroying goodness and security for others right, right. that's just that just happens they're trying to get information and get rich on other people's backs and i i have other sorry but this is also like but we're we're the problem <laughs> we're complicit like right? when we do stupid things like set the password to company name number 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 we're in trouble already right. like that was just a shortcut and somebody at SolarWinds needs to learn about one password right i'll tell you just Two weeks ago, I got a fraud alert from my bank that someone had stolen my credit card number for my credit card. And they were in Florida and they'd done a couple of things. They were trying to add it to their digital wallet to like Google Pay or Apple Pay, one of those things. And so they'd been flagged. And then they tried to charge some world travel to the tune of $24,000 in a single transaction Whoa. against my credit card. And I talked to the the fraud uh, specialist at my bank and she said, I need you to know you're my dinner conversation tonight because I have never in my life i've been doing this for 12 years and i have never seen uh, any anybody try to perpetuate or to perpetrate fraud in a single transaction this high so crazy never this is this is just ballsy stuff right here twenty six thousand uh, dollars the next week i get a notice from suntrust bank congratulating me on my new money market accounts and my new credit or checking accounts sending me checks to accounts that i never opened so people are out there constantly trying to to figure out a way to extort us because they have our names and numbers and they don't care because of empathy they don't have any empathy because there's no faces attached to our social security numbers in these mass hacking attempts and and uh that's really disgusting so all of that is to say, I, too, am right in the middle of it. And I used to think, oh, I'm kind of on top of my security stuff. You know, every password to every account I have is unique. I change them once a year. I'm on top of it. My credit cards I keep in a in a password vault. I use a credit card that changes its number uh, whenever I make a transaction on it. Like, what? I try to use stuff that's <laughs> a little bit. I try to use stuff that does, and I still get hacked like three or four times, like find that my material was in a breach that somebody can access. And it's, I find it now, even me, pretty terrifying. Yeah. Well, I don't, <laughs> I don't. The, even the things that you just said that you do, like I don't do any of those. Things. How am I not? How I think like there, I think there's someone controlling me, like yeah, my body. Right. That's how there's severely I've been. Who, I'm actually talking to the Russians right now. Yeah, if you right. know my old phone number in Colorado and the names of the three dogs I've had, you have access to my <laughs> entire life. Like I, yeah, I am a disaster and I don't know what to do. And I've just been reading about how uh, one of the biggest things that's happening is, of course, privacy is a disaster. The ransom demands of things that don't ever get reported that they've gotten really good. Why the only reason I want to bring this up is because that one hacker really shot for the moon for you uh, with your big uh, $26,000 thing. What they usually do is when they hold like schools or hospitals with ransomware, they don't ask for a ton of money. It's like tens of thousands or twenties of thousands of dollars because it's payable. And then they will come back 
and do it again and find another back door. I don't really know what to do about it because I don't understand almost any of it. I just want to, I think you just said something really important, and that is that our fear exists in a place that is darkness, right? And that this, it is the world that we have created, the interwoven set of systems and technologies that we have created is so complicated that any one person does not understand all of the risks, cannot understand all of the apparent risks right. that go along with it. And that's where we are with this stuff. So, like, part of it is all you can do is your best, right? Right. It, that, that's all. That's literally all you can do, and that needs to be a part of the mindfulness process, pro, uh, like exercise for the week. You know, like when you're when you take a moment to catch a deep breath and just repeat to yourself, "I'm just doing my best. I'm just doing my best." Because you're never going to it, like you're never going to go to grad school and get a doctorate in computer science and go study hacking and learn how to protect your credit card number that right. route it's it's too complicated you right. you can't do that and so uh i think it's so i think it's that uh, makes me feel better because i have been my anxiety ever since i got hired in march to be it for solar winds my anxiety has been <laughs> through the roof <laughs> and now i've got all these messages that i don't know how to respond <laughs> and then pete said all i had to do was meditate on it i feel great exactly yeah <laughs> Between you and me, I, now I've changed it to Solar Winds three, two, one. So don't worry about it. <laughs> Take that, hackers! Live stream. Um, former NSA hacker David Kennedy uh, gave five tips, and I'm only going to read a couple of them because they're easier. Number one: use two-factor authentic authentication or two-step verification everywhere you can. And he says, it's already everywhere. All the banking systems you use, Twitter, it's available everywhere. You just have to go into your settings and turn it on. And what that means is... What does it mean, Pete? <laughs> what is two-step verification? <laughs> you have to verify it on two of your devices that you're you. So if someone else... Like, you put in your password somewhere, and then it sends a note to your computer or your phone and says, is this you? Are you you? And you say yes. Yes, which only works if you, as long as you have your phone on you at all times. And so right. that's that's one of the, I mean, that is like the very basic two-factor. It's something you know, which is your password, and something you have, which is your phone, right? right? So, so as long as you pair those things together, what you know and what you have, then you are less likely to get to to have your stuff taken but we have so many examples of people through social engineering hacks are able to to thwart that process so it it, it's really hard the the next best way to do that is to use a a tool that does an automatic key generator and doesn't send you a text it actually you know if you're on your devices like one password you get into one password it generates a key that changes every 30 seconds and you have to put that in with your password and um then it's it's just just that next step more secure so uh, but that is what two factor is something you know something you have i don't know why i like that so much number two don't use the same password everywhere okay former nsa hacker david kennedy stop screaming at me i get it (laughs) do you do this what is your what is your current password protocol what do you what do you do well i just mean like okay you sign up you sign up for yep i don't know let's call it ashley madison just the generals yeah (laughs) if people know what ashley madison is that's not a bad joke oh they do okay Uh, other people do oh speaking Uh, of they got hacked that's right oh yeah yeah they did they did that was kind of a legendary hack that's how we found out that there's 
that there's no actual real women on Ashley Madison. Yeah. It's all dudes and bots. Okay, go ahead. Yeah. Nice. Okay. So dudes and bots um, is what, like you're signing up for your new account at Ashley Madison. What mm -hmm. is it that you do to set up your password? I use the same password I use for every, everywhere else. And I mean, everywhere else. Really? hundred <laughs> percent. Okay. All right. <laughs> because I don't, we, we I, have some work to do. I can't In the remember. Spirit of, please let Tom serve as a warning to others. <laughs> we have some work to do. <laughs> And then Chrome says, do you want me to just automatically remember this? And I say, absolutely. <laughs> sure. So you would have to type in the same thing. Do, and you, then I, do you have a password on your computer at a bare minimum? Yeah. Oh, good. That's something. Yeah. That's I have something. a password on my computer and my, but it's the same as all the other passwords. <laughs> <laughs> I have one password. If I could change my four number pin to be that same password, I would. It's a disaster. <laughs> Can I just? Yeah, I want to. This is. I have to do a public service announcement. But how would I remember all the different passwords in this economy? There is a. There are a number of applications out here that fit into this category. The one that I choose and use is called One Password. The number one. That's what I have. One password. I don't even need this app. Yeah, no, you're doing it wrong. Shoot. Let me assure you, you're doing it wrong. Oh darn. What One Password allows you to do is it's a it's what's called a password vault. And so inside of 1Password is a secure and encrypted directory of all the services that you use and your username and password for those services. And 1Password generates the password for those services for you. So when you sign into Ashley Madison and for the first time, you say, my username is, you know, Tommy Hot Dog Mets. <laughs> And then the so password you, you go <laughs> you go over to one password and you say generate password and there is a recipe there and you can drag little sliders like how many how long do you need it to be I want it to be thirty six characters long I want it to have some symbols some capital letters and lowercase letters and then I want to copy and paste that password into ashleymadison.com and that password becomes unique I can't remember that password it's thirty six characters long. It's just a string of text then that doesn't do mean you... anything to me. Stay with me now, because this okay. is the magic. Now, And by the way, I already know what my password for 1Password is going to be. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> so, you come down to 1Password, and you say, okay, 1Password, I need to get into sweetsweetashleymadison.com. Mm -hmm. What am I going to do? You can go to ashleymadison.com, log in, press the login button, and it comes up with your username and password field, and you hit on your, uh, in this case, your Macintosh uh, computer, you hit command backslash. The The shortcut key command backslash now your computer and one password remembers that your password is saved in uh, in your vault so it will say what is your one password that's your secure password that allows you into the vault and then one password pastes your super secure password into the site so the site never knows your easier password it only knows the complex password that you saved in your password vault. Are you following uh, me? Yes. Yes. I think so. So all you need to do once you load all of your sites into one password is remember command backslash and your 
one password. You remember one easier password to access all of the individual complex passwords for every site that you use. I cannot stress enough the value of a password vault in this economy because you have to have passwords that are unique to every service if you want to avoid getting hacked. That is one of the main ways identities are stolen is by people who have the same password on every account. Once you learn one password, you can (laughs) get into every single account that they have. All right. Okay, one password. Is it the number one or is it spelled O-N-E? It's number one password, and you can sign up for an account with them. It's cheap. Uh, You can sign up for family accounts. We have it for our family where we have, you know, it gives you six accounts for like $5.99, $6.99 a month, something like that. And so my kid, each of my kids has their own account. My wife has an account. account. I have an account. It allows you to share vaults if you collaborate with people. Um, You know, I have a vault that is shared with uh, people on my team uh, for work stuff. And so any of our shared passwords that we all need to access uh, are in one password. And all you have to remember is command backslash. All right. I'm telling you, man, they didn't use it at SolarWinds, and that's how we ended up with SolarWinds 123. Good point. (laughs) Okay, I will do it. That's helpful. (laughs) Password vault. Okay, 1Password. Got it. Um, Thank you. And then the password that I use for 1Password, I can write on, like, a yellow sticky and tape it to my phone. Yeah, please do that. Yeah, and your computer. And make sure it's very clear. This is my password to everything, colon, and then write it out in, like, big, bold print. Don't use hackers, please. No, I'm not even going to say please, because then they'll respect me. Okay, you have a device that allows you to etch into the metal of your computer some sort of... (laughs) You can just write it in the metal. So you can't erase it. You won't lose it. Yeah. So that was number two. Number three, make sure that you stay up to date. Uh, Those security patches, every time you have a Windows update that says, hey, I need to update your computer, it's usually... I didn't know this. This didn't occur to me. It's usually to fix a known attack that hackers have figured out to access your computer. Uh, And I think that's a great idea. And I still think that uh, Java... And Adobe can calm down because they update, <laughs> they update their systems 19 times a day, and I don't see any differences. And last but not least, personal information. That's one of the biggest things that attackers can leverage to get access to your data. Things like social security numbers, your credit card numbers. A person is never going to call you on the phone from a banking service and ask you for that type of information. So whenever you get a call that's too good to be true or a call that is like a fraud services line, call them back. Don't just take that call at face value. Find the other people to help you with that. Did that make sense? That was sort of yeah, words. Absolutely. Yeah. No, and those are just really some important. easy things to do. And I'm going to do them. And you have my word on it. I'm going to go to one password. We should get we should get sponsored by one password. I think it's really important to to uh, just to get to take stock in what you have and what you have not yet lost because we're all it's just uh, just take a number and get in line before you get hacked wait have you ever been hacked um have you ever had your identity stolen i'm pretty sure foster has stolen my identity my dog foster has stolen my identity like three times because i keep getting orders big packages of sticks from amazon yeah (laughs) i haven't i haven't paid for those no it's just sticks and and a new computer yeah and why does why do you have to go to amazon for sticks? dogs don't use computers Everybody knows they still type on regular typewriters. Your love. Thank you all 
so much for joining us for this episode. This week's tune is A Second Without Your Love by John Coggins. Mm. I am Tommy III. And I'm Pete Wright. Thanks for downloading. We'll be back next week on What's That Smell? My breath under the water Yeah, I can take the pain It doesn't bother me But I wouldn't last A second without your love No, I couldn't last A second without your love Lock me